when my course took off, I started getting phone calls from other entrepreneurs saying, how did you do this? How can I create my own online courses? How can I do what you did? And so it was really about meeting that need for them and building something for them. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today, we have Greg Smith, who's the CEO of Thinkific, which is an all-in-one platform for independent experts and entrepreneurs to create, market, and sell online courses. Greg, how's it going? It's great, Eric. Thanks to be here. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> Thanks for being here. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I work at Thinkific. I'm a founder here, and it's an online course platform, as you mentioned, that lets people create and launch online courses. We've been doing this for about four and a half years. And then personally, my background, I launched my first online course about 10 years ago. And in addition to having that up and running and still going, I've practiced law as a securities and capital markets lawyer for a few years for some of the bigger firms. And uh, also started a few other tech and non-tech companies and been involved in a few other startups. I'm a father and I love kiteboarding. <laughs> awesome. Great. We'll have to talk about kiteboarding in a second. Take us back 10 years. Why did you decide to start doing online courses? What did you sell exactly? How did you do? So I was uh, just getting into law school. I was as a side job teaching some classes on actually how to get into law school or, or more accurately how to take the LSAT, the law school admissions test. And my students were asking for a bit of extra information. So I put together a little blog. People liked it. It wasn't anything amazing in terms of the, you know, the viewers or the visitors, but that led me to an idea to create an online course. So I put that up and it took off and did really well. And then we just kept building on top of it. And that really led to the whole interest in the online education space. Got it. And just to give an audience an idea, I mean, I've read somewhere that you managed to get to $10,000 in monthly recurring revenue. Is that about right? Yeah. And it's, it's actually continued to grow significantly from there. And the surprising thing to me has been that I basically... Uh, before we started Thinkific, so about five years ago, I gave myself six weeks to just touch up things on the course that hadn't been done that we always wanted to fix because it was always a side project. It was never a full-time gig. So we gave ourselves six weeks to kind of touch it up. My brother and I did everything that needed to get done, and then we started Thinkific full-time. And uh, since then, so almost five years, I haven't touched it, and it just continues to grow. So it's it's been a pretty amazing opportunity to kind of pay the mortgages and uh, and and uh, allow me to do other things like create and build Thinkific without having to worry about cash in the early days. Awesome. You know, so most people would be like, wow, you know, if I made 10 or 20K a month on, on re recurring, I just go around traveling the world and not have to worry about working more. <laughs> you know, what inspired you to kind of start Thinkific? Well, I guess it was really when my course took off, I started getting phone calls from other entrepreneurs saying, how did you do this? How can I create my own online courses? How can I do what you did? 
And so it was really about meeting that need for them and building something for them that would allow them to do what I had done. So it was really mostly about just helping other people. I mean, at the end of the day, everything I do from the businesses I've built to the teaching I've done, it's all about what I'd love to do is help other people succeed. So even the course I taught was how to get into law school and become a lawyer for people who really wanted to take that route. And I just, the biggest thing I got out of it wasn't the the revenue, it was actually getting those emails and calls back from people saying, oh my goodness, I just got into the law school of my dreams. I'm so stoked. Thanks. Awesome. There's so many different course platforms out there at the moment. I mean, how does Thinkific kind of separate itself from the pack? Uh, yeah, you're definitely right. Lots of options. I've heard it compared to drinking from a fire hose, I think. <laughs> so I'd say we set ourselves apart in a number of ways. Uh, one, we've been around for four and a half years now, and I've been in the space for 10 years. So that alone, I think, sets us apart. There's a lot of people who've come along in the last couple of years who are still pretty new to the whole space. The fact that we've been around a lot longer differentiates us just in terms of the feature set that we've been able to build, the stability of the platform and the uptime and lack of bugs and all that kind of stuff included within it. Another big one that, that I think people sometimes pass over when, when looking at platforms or software is our support team is amazing. So we have a whole team of people here who've built their own online courses and they're amazing from a customer success side of things. And that's really the biggest feedback I hear from people who try us out after trying two or three other systems is they're just, oh my goodness, your customer support is amazing. I'm so stoked to be working with you guys because whenever they run into an issue or a question, even if it's nothing to do with our software, we're, we're there to help. And then even within the software, we've got a ton of features that you don't see elsewhere. We've got some cool things like a sales widget that allows you to promote your courses all over the internet or the ability to do voice over top of slides right within our system. And then a ton of stuff around the e-commerce and a really powerful branding engine that allows you to basically make it look like anything you want. Cool. So I want to switch gears back to what you were doing before we jump back into the product. So, yeah. you know, back in the day when you started doing your course, I mean, I think a big problem people have when they when, when it comes to creating courses is the distribution portion. So how did you go about distributing uh, your course in the early days and how do people do it nowadays? Yeah, and it's, it's actually a lot of similar things, you know, not a lot. I mean, lots has changed, <laughs> but but a lot of the strategies are still fairly similar. So the ones that really worked for me early days, it was funny, I had a blog and I was writing, you know, my 500 word blog posts every few days and, and publishing that. And that did okay for generating some traffic, which led to some sales, but it wasn't as effective as actually creating sort of epic resources or tools for people. So I had two or three pages on my site that were just really useful tools. One of them was just a simple chart of numbers that people would refer to to check their LSAT scores. Uh, another, I actually built a little tool in, in Flash that was a, uh, an LSAT proctor where you'd hit a button and it would talk you through the LSAT. Uh, but these kind of things I found generated a ton of inbound links and, and a lot of traffic, and they actually continue to do so today. And then into those pages, I built calls to actions to do a free trial of the product or the course and that led to a lot of conversions. And then another great channel for me was and continues to be YouTube. And it's still second biggest search engine out there. It's plugged right into Google. And if you do it properly, I think I have about 12 videos on my YouTube channel. I have less than a couple thousand subscribers. So nothing amazing that way. Views are, are getting to be pretty good, but it drives three or $4,000 a month in additional revenue just from people searching for watching a YouTube video and then coming over and buying the course. So for YouTube, this is all organic. This is not ads, right? No, this is all just straight organic. It's just building out. And, and my strategy on YouTube is just add a ton of value, be really honest with people, give away some of your best stuff for free that they're looking to learn, and then mention that they can get more free videos over at your site. 
the reason I go with the call to action of there's more free videos at my site is I think anytime you're using social channels, you really have to think why is someone on this specific channel? So the strategy that works on Facebook won't work as well on Instagram or Twitter or YouTube. And people go to YouTube to watch free videos. And so my CTA is always about come over here and watch more free videos because I already have the difficulty of getting them to leave one platform to come over to another. I don't want to also have the difficulty of getting them to get out of the mindset of free videos and into some other mindset. So my CTA is always about whatever it is that you're doing. So on Facebook, your CTA would probably be about, you know, voyeurism or, uh, or checking out cool pictures or, you know, reading your friend's posts or something along those lines. Okay. If somebody's watching a free video and then you send them to your site to watch more free videos. And then from there, are you telling them to opt in for something or what does that look like? So when they get to the site, there are a few free videos they can just watch there, but mostly it's straight to an opt-in to take the free trial of the course where there are some free videos. They watch two or three oh, free videos got it. free trial and then they buy. And I'll be honest. I mean, it's a simple funnel. Like I, I, I know some great funnel people and they would laugh at this funnel, but it works. You can def, I could definitely jack up my conversion rates with a better funnel. But uh, again, this is something that I stopped working on five years ago. So, but it still works. If people watch the video, they come over, they sign up for a free trial, they watch two or three more videos and then they buy. Yeah. I mean, this is super valuable. I mean, it's still, you know, even though it's five years ago, it's still re- very relevant, like you mentioned. And I, I think I want to dive back into another thing that you mentioned, you know, you talked about linking for, for, you know, let's talk about SEO for a second. Um, you mentioned creating content. It was nice. You got some traffic here and there, but when you started to create epic resources or you started to create widgets or tools, that's when you started to generate a lot of backlinks. But I'm curious because if you don't really have a brand in the beginning, how are you generating the, you know, these, these backlinks? How are you getting people to link to this when nobody's ever heard of it? Yeah, that was, that was an interesting one. I, I did a few guest blog posts. I, I shared them with people. I guess it was a little bit easier then to get ranked in Google. So, uh, you know, some of these things just sort of happened magically by having it out there for a few months and people referring to it. Uh, you get the odd social share and then very quickly you can move up the ranks. But at the end of the day, I think it is, you know, if you had something amazing out there, then even if a small number of people find it and they start sharing it, then very quickly things can happen. Currently, you know, nowadays what we do is, is we kind of, you seed that process a lot better. So if I have a big resource that we've created now at Thinkific, we will make sure that there are influencers and people with audiences that are involved in creating and being a part of that and they're linked to and they're highlighted in and then we can share it with them and often they'll go out and share it with their audiences and uh, that can then go and obviously create a nice network effect of bringing more people in. And then the other thing is you can go and you have to be careful with this, but you can get into places like Reddit and uh, and other communities where you can go and share these things. Now, Reddit is probably the most vicious in terms of promotional stuff. So you usually have to get someone else to share it and then you just stay the hell away from it or, you, or you'll get banned. Uh, but you can go and share these things in, in communities like that. And that can be the start of your sort of backlinking strategy. Awesome. And just to let the audience know, I mean, Reddit is offering a new feature now where uh, basically you can promote posts that, let, let's just say Thinkific is, is killing it on Reddit. You can actually go in there as a Thinkific advertiser and just push that post even harder. Um, so that, I think I just came out last week. So you guys can take advantage of that if you find a way to make Reddit work for you. Excellent. That's great. I didn't actually know about that. So we'll have to take a look at that. I'm always fearful of doing anything promotional in there. Usually we just sort of mention what we've created to other influencers who maybe are big on Reddit and then they can choose to share it if they want. Anything beyond that, and I find sometimes you just get lambasted on there for being promotional. True, true. <laughs> Happened to me many times. We're, we're an influencer on Reddit, shared our post, and then a couple days later, one of our team saw that it was trending. They hopped in and made a comment on it. Boom. 
everything was shut down. Oh, (laughs) yeah, that sucks. (laughs) Know how that feels. Going back to think of it, how do you make money? You know, how, how, do, how, how do you charge? How does everything work? We charge a, uh, a monthly subscription fee. So we do have a free plan. It's freemium. People can hop in, build courses, sell courses, do all of that for free for forever. And then if they want to upgrade, they get some additional features and uh, they do that on a monthly plan. Those range from 39, 49 bucks a month to 79, 100 bucks a month. We have a few higher level, more enterprise level plans, but most people are on the, the sort of $100 a month range. That's our primary revenue model there. And how's the company doing today? What are some numbers you can share? Yeah, happy to. So we're doing, I think we're over 20,000 sites using us now. We, uh, we've got 23 staff, we're profitable, and uh, revenues and customer base is growing about 30% month over month and has been consistently for a year or two now. Are you guys venture-backed? Uh, no, we're not, actually. So we uh, recently had a few angels get involved, but that was not actually through need of, of financing. It was actually more that they're just amazing people that with some really good connections and some amazing... They're all founders of uh, their own companies that are much, much larger than ours. And so I, I wanted them involved uh, so they could share their advice on the successes they've had. And they have some specific domain expertise. So that was great to get people like that involved. Awesome. So let's go to the early days. How did Thinkific get its first, let's just say, 100 customers? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. First 50, I called them personally. So we just looked around, we found people, called them up, and, and I got on the phone with them, talked through you know what they were looking for. And even the first five, it was almost like more of a real sales cycle of a lot of work. And then after that, we kind of figured things out, and, and it was phone calls. That was sort of the first 50. And then the, the 50 after that, it was more emailing them, and then the odd Skype chat with some of them. I started really unscalable methods. Initially, it was just a lot of work to kind of find someone, figure out that, you know, email them, get a phone number, set up a call, get on the call, maybe get on three calls with one person before they really got using it. Uh, That was sort of the first 50 customers. And then we started to make it a little bit more repeatable and scalable from there. And we slowly iterated from you know, hard work, non-scalable phone calls and sales processes over to a lot more automated and even, you know, retargeting and ads and things like that. There you go. The, the hand-to-hand combat, I mean, that that customer development, it, it's gold, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, You learn so much in those phone calls. And if people say no, that's great because you could run ads or blog posts or, you know, post links all you want and have a whole bunch of people come through and not use your product. And you don't know if it's because you've got a bad landing page or a bad call to action, or they just don't like your product or your feature set, or maybe they would love it, but there wasn't enough education on your site to show them what it did. But if you get on that phone and someone says, ah, you know, I'd love to use your system, but uh, you know, you just don't have this. Well, okay, there you go. Your question's answered. Now you know what to do. Perfect. We talked about early day customer acquisition. What's one thing that's working really well for you guys right now in terms of customer acquisition? I mean, we do a ton of stuff, but if you want to get into one thing, I'd say I'm actually seeing this across the SaaS universe that the companies, and not everyone is doing it well, not everyone's doing it at all, but the ones that are doing really well are doing sort of a higher level of education for their potential clients and existing clients. So this involves not just, you know, people have... Uh, you know, it's it's kind of table stakes now to have a support database or a, you know a help center of articles that show people how to use your product, uh, and even the odd course on how to use your product. But what I'm seeing people do a really good job of, and say Hootsuite is a good example of one doing this, is they're actually creating education 
around how to be successful in their entire sphere of influence. They have training and education on how to use their product, and we have that too. But we also do courses and training for how to be successful in our space. So even if you're not using our product, you can learn all about how to be successful with online courses and online education through sort of a university that we run. And then that can potentially convert you into a customer. But even if it doesn't, uh, we can, you know, it's it's creating uh, buzz and, and interest in what we're doing and exposure. And then for our existing customers, educating them to be more successful in our sphere means that they become essentially power users. They're they're really good at, at doing things with our course software, with Thinkific, but then they also uh, will refer other people more likely, more likely to kind of upgrade and continue using it, reduces churn. But the big thing that comes out of it, I think, is, is that they become champions of it. If someone's really, really successful and good at what they're doing and you've helped them get there, they're much more likely to go out and refer other people to you and tell everyone they know about it. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, you're driving more referrals, you're driving more retention at the same time when you're building these universities or resource pages. Are these uh, public to search engines too? Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it really does become even an acquisition channel there. And I've seen a lot of SaaS companies even creating or startups or tech companies or even bigger ones creating these sort of universities of education in their sphere and then using it as an acquisition channel because it can bring people in and it's not hitting them right away with buy my product. It's like, hey, we've got some great courses, even free courses on how to be really amazing at social media marketing. And then eventually that could lead into, and by the way, we've got a great social media marketing product for you. Love it. Okay. So tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing this business. Uh, Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, if, for me, I, I looked at this question and, and uh, or I, I look at this question, I think definitely have had big setbacks. But really, for me, I think the, the most dangerous thing is the little daily ones that, that just, you know, death by paper cuts. So, you know, it's the little things like you try an ad campaign and it, it, you, you run a little bit of money into it and it doesn't work. Or you try launching a, a, a getting out there and reaching out to a few influencers and nobody writes you back or something like that. It's those little daily things that uh, especially early days, or even you talk to three or four potential customers and nobody is interested and they don't give you any meaningful feedback on on why or what you could do to fix it. Uh, I think it's the little tiny paper cuts that are actually the most dangerous thing and have always been for me. So, I mean, the thing I take away from that really is, uh, is to learn as much as you can from each little setback or challenge or obstacle and then take that and apply it and move on. Most importantly, just move on and keep going and trying new things. So I want to go one level deeper now. What's one big thing, positive or negative, that has impacted your life dramatically? My life or business life? Your life overall. (laughs) Well, I just had a daughter a year ago, so that'd be the biggest thing for sure. I got married a couple of few years ago and and had a daughter a year ago, and it's been amazing. And and funny, actually, it's had an impact on my business in that having a kid, well, one, I'm amazingly happy. It's super fun, and I'm, you know, stoked to kind of play with her every evening and, and every weekend. But it's created a lot more structure and schedule in my life. I mean, I had my had my party days and and uh, uh, now I'm I'm sort of I've got business and family and that's pretty much all I focus on. Uh, definitely to the detriment of other areas of my life, but uh, I'm I'm loving it. I'm super happy with it, and it just means that uh, you know I know I get up super early in the morning and head out to work, work a long day, but I'm always home in time for to to hang out with my daughter and and do bath time and bedtime. But just creating that structure, it means, uh, you know, I mean, I haven't been hungover in years now. And uh, it's uh, not that I had a lot of that to begin with. But um, yeah, it it creates almost like a a real structure and focus for you. So it's been an amazing impact both on personal and uh, business life. Awesome. So how old are you right now? 
Me? 38. 38. Okay. What's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? Uh, let's see. If I could go back then, I'd tell myself to invest in um, Home Depot, Walmart, uh, Dell, Adobe, Marvel Comics, uh, maybe Nintendo, <laughs> Apple. Uh, <laughs> that would be, if I could fly back in time and give myself that advice, that'd be a quick, easy win. And then, honestly, I'd say keep having fun and doing what you're doing and things will go well. You know, I'd, be, I'd actually be scared to give myself some totally different uh, direction in life because uh, it's, uh, it's, it's worked out pretty well. So I, I can't complain. I don't, I don't think I'd want to change massive amounts of things. And the reason for that is because all your, you're saying all the experiences that you've had add up to where you are now. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, you know, the whole butterfly effect, right? You see those time travel movies where you go back, you change one tiny thing and everything works out differently. So I just, you know, I, I'm super happy with where I'm at now in personal, family, business, everything. So uh, to change anything and I had a, and it's been an amazing fun ride the whole way here. So uh, yeah, there's not a lot that I'd be like, oh, totally do this differently or, or you know, um, even if I told myself to do things a little bit faster, I'd probably miss out on some of the, the shenanigans and fun and travel. And, you know, I took year, you know, six months off here and six months off there and went and traveled the world. So I, I would really wouldn't want to, uh, even change that kind of stuff and, and trade it for faster business success or something. Interesting. So what's that timeline? I mean, when you started doing these six month trips, like what age did you start? And then how long, you know, what ages did you do it uh, for? Uh, I, let's say I did the first six month trip that was, uh, just when I finished university. So 20 or 21 for my first degree, I did another trip just before law school when I was like mid twenties. I think I did another one after law school, but that one wasn't for as long. So mid late twenties. And then, um, I actually have a commitment now with my wife. I try and do a little bit of travel every year, but I have a commitment now with my wife that sometime in the next uh, five years before our daughter gets into grade one, we're going to uh, live somewhere else for a year. So I'll still be working, I'm sure, at that time and doing all that kind of stuff. But but live in some you know tropical country for a year because uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something that uh, I love doing. She loves doing. So yeah, great. Let's go back to the business for a second. Let's talk about one big change you've made in the business in the last year that's had a pretty big impact. Oh, definitely people. So a year ago, we were, you know, six or seven people were 23, 24 today, I think. Well, depending on we've got new people who just accepted offers and are starting soon. But uh, so focusing on adding amazing people to the team and just working with absolutely amazing people has been the single most profound impact. I find if you make a bad hire, that can be a uh, have a terrible impact on the whole company. Um, but good, good hires just accelerate everything exponentially. So single best thing for me is focusing on good people. And I, the process I'm using now is all based around the Rockefeller habits and, uh, and, and top grading as a process for, for bringing great people on board. Got it. So just for everyone to know, top grading is a, it's a system. And there's also, I think there's also a book as well. And then Rockefeller habits, uh, there's a new one by Vern Harnish. Uh, this is his version two called scaling up. So make sure you check it out. I think there's a lot of worksheets in there for, I think businesses at virtually any size, I think they should be taking a look at those, those worksheets, right? Yeah. I, I you know, I, I think you, you maybe could get it. So I, we're, we're implementing a lot of stuff from scaling up right now and have uh, some consultants helping us with that stuff, but I wouldn't get into it until you've got product market fit. You're, you're starting to scale rapidly and uh, you're kind of passing that six person team mark and, and you really see yourself bringing on, you know, five or 10 people at least over the next year. That where I, that's where I think it's kind of the sweet spot to start. And after that, you know, it's never too, once you pass that point, you should, you know, at any level, you could be a 500 person, thousand person company and still implement it and see great results. Fair enough. Okay. 
So we talked about top grading. We talked about scaling up slash Rockefeller habits. What's another book you'd recommend to everyone? Well, so I have kind of three, depending on the stage of business you're in. If you're thinking about it, just getting started, not sure yet, The Alchemist, it can be a dangerous one if you're just happy with your job, because uh, it'll probably uh, sort of convince you to go and start something yourself. If you're starting something and you're in the early phases, the lean startup, I think, is gold in terms of thinking about minimum viable products and being efficient with the things that you're doing. And then for the further, once you're actually scaling, that uh, scaling up book is key. And even within the scaling up book, there's one they recommend, which is top grading as well. And even the book Who, which is by Jeffrey Smart, which is great for the, the hiring process of bringing people on. So, Greg, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? Well, we're at thinkific.com. We could even put something together for your audience. So whether they're looking to create their own online courses or they want to do it for their own, for their SaaS company or startup, uh, we could do something at get.thinkific.com slash growth everywhere and put some great stuff for them there if they're interested in getting started in online courses to try it out. Yeah, let's do it for sure. We'll, we'll set something up afterwards offline. But uh, yeah, everyone, make sure you check out Thinkific if you're looking to sell anything online. I think it's really interesting. Greg, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.